Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, I suppose you recognize that I'm not Walker Armstrong. Walker was uh, preaching today, and he will be preaching with us Wednesday night. But between us, he got his dates mixed up. And, you know, I probably should have called him a month ago and reminded him. But I, it's not, I'm not blaming on Walker. I'm glad he could come Wednesday. So it's really good. And uh, I, I was going to be, I was going to find somebody else to speak today because I thought it's homecoming would be good. But the two or three people that I called and I, I just felt that it's, it's for me to do. So, um, we're here and we'll have a good day. I know that I'm standing between you and lunch. I understand that. So I, I'm respectful of that and uh, I'll get you at lunch on time. I'm glad you're here. I want to remind you and just say a word about our revival services this week. And, and we do have revival Wednesday night. We'll have a fellowship meal at six and come here on Wednesday night. Walker is speaking on Wednesday night. On on Sunday morning, we will have Dr. Greg Lawson from Southeastern Seminary. Uh, Greg is a great preacher. He's you'll love his preaching. I encourage you to be here and to bring someone. Um, uh, he will be preaching in Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we'll have in the bulletin next week something that I want to make you aware of. And uh, just to give you a heads up so you can plan on it. At 4 o'clock next Sunday afternoon, he's going to meet with a group of interested people, invite our students to come and talk about discipleship in the church and some methods of discipleship. So I invite you to come. It's not a class. It's a seminar. It's kind of a to talk and ask questions and let him share some of his thoughts. And so I would like for as many of you who are willing and interested to be a part of that. It'll be at 4 o'clock down at Community First. That's, that's next Sunday. Now, there's probably somebody here today that didn't bring anything for lunch and said, well, I didn't know about homecoming or I didn't know about this. Let me tell you, I, I, I want you to come to lunch. There's plenty to eat. Don't, don't think because I didn't bring anything, I can't come to lunch. You can come to lunch. You can do that. So you come to lunch and we want you to come and enjoy this day with us. And, and be a part of it. And I know a lot of our folks are hither, thither, and yon today, like they always are. We're kind of getting everybody back from vacations, but we still have folks away. And, uh, so I, I know there, there's plenty of food. There, there's no shortage of that. So be here. Stay for lunch. Don't, don't not do it. Pray for the folks in the paths of these terrible storms. And remember them. You know them. You know about them. Uh, I don't need to go through all that, but pray for them. And there are some tangible ways to support them. And you saw, uh, AJ mentioned in the bulletin, you can bring send money through the Baptist State Convention through their disaster relief fund. And we also have, if you want to bring some real supplies, if you'll just bring them, as he said, in plastic bags and bring them to our church office on, by Wednesday, we'll get them because the folks are taking them down uh, to Houston on Thursday. And I'm sure there's going to be more opportunities for the people in Florida as well because that thing is ongoing as we speak. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I think this is uh, th- this is the perfect passage for homecoming and a revival service. That It is both of these things. It is a call to look back and a call to look forward and to do the work that we've been called to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, only two verses today. It's all we can get through. There's more truth here than we can cover in a short time. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll speak clearly to us through it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I am often reminded in the church that there are many things to do. There are more things to do than we can do. I jotted down a few. We teach. We visit. We plan. uh, We work with our committees. We counsel and mentor. We preach, we develop ideas, and oh yes, we keep our technology going. Fortunately, I don't have to do that. We have very smart people in David and several of you. Keith, who works from far away, Keith Hibner, and he works so hard on our technology. We are so blessed. Um, We have the crises that happen in every church. We have deaths and serious illness and surgery and problems in our families, and we have Issues that go on each and every day. There is enough going on all the time that sometimes we could say, what is most important? Our job is to run the race that God has given us. That is our job. I want you to know that. I I want you to refocus today and, and say, of all the things that you have in your life, Our job as a church is to run the race that God has given us. Your job as Christians, as believers, is to run the race that God's given you. That's your task. That's what you have to do. You say, well, Jim, what what is to run the race? That is to be faithful to the gospel in everything that it does. To live out what Christ calls us to do. That's part of running the race. Sharing our faith with the world is the mission and the work of our church. If we're not careful, the church can come become completely distracted by all the things that we do. And we can't ever forget our job is to run the race. The, the writer of Hebrews gives us this wonderful passage of scripture. The focus, the church, to focus believers squarely on what we need to do. I've got four things and I want to talk to him about them. The first thing I want to focus on is the large cloud of witnesses. And we're surrounded by those witnesses from the past. That's exactly what he says. Uh, I want you to picture the scene here. David has included some pictures of the church in, in past years. And so you can see that in my four points here. So you can enjoy that along with the four points. And you can see them and I know you'll recognize them. But I want you to picture a huge stadium of people... And around the huge stadium are witnesses from the past. Now, now the writer of Hebrews is referring to chapter 11 when he gives us the, the great um, lessons of faith from all the people in the Bible. And he goes through the value of faith and he lists all of these men and women. There's Abraham and uh, there's Moses and there, there are all of those folks that went before. And so they're some of the witnesses. But but we 
We have those witnesses today and, and the folks that we've had in our church. Uh, this is a present tense. The, the Greek word here is they surround us now. It's not something that happened in the past, and didn't ha- but they surround us today. And there's two ways of looking at this. You can look at this great cloud of witnesses and you could say, well, well they're, they're looking down and seeing how we're doing. They're observing our work. And, and I like that. It's pleasant. It's not what the context of the scripture says. And I believe if you look at what the Bible says about heaven, uh, I believe that we go in spirit form when we leave this world. We go in spirit form to the throne of God. That's where we are. That's where the Bible shows believers. And we go there and we remain to worship God until Christ returns and we're given our eternal bodies. And then we, then we are in uh, uh, an eternal body again. I don't think the people in heaven are worried about things of earth. I don't think they look down and say, well, I wonder how they're doing at First Baptist Church. How are they getting along? I, I think if they did that, they would be worried and concerned and troubled and burdened. They would look down at us and say, I can't believe those people are doing this. We didn't do it that way. No, I, I think they're worshiping God. That's their focus. Their work on earth is done. They're celebrating and enjoying and resting from their labors. All of those things are what the Bible tells us. They know us and they're aware of us. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer tells a really funny story about his parents. And Dr. Lutzer has a very dry uh, Midwestern sense of humor. And he says that his parents were well into their hundreds. And he says by the time that his mother died, he said she she was 106 years old. And he said my dad was 104. And he said all their friends were gone. All of their family was gone. And he said I'm sure their friends that they'd gone to church with and ministered with says where are the Lutzers? Maybe they didn't make it. <laughs> but But I think the folks in heaven are worshiping God. And they're relieved from all the burdens of the earth. So, so I don't think they're looking down and being concerned about us. I think we are looking up and seeing them and saying, what can we learn from those folks in the past? That's the way this is. That's the writer of Hebrews. When he gives us chapter 11 in Hebrews, he is giving us these examples of faith. And he says, look up at these people and look at what you can learn from them. And, and the things that they know. Listen to verse 39. He says, all of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not be made perfect without us. In other words, they were faithful and they lived life and, and they kept doing what God had called them to do, even though they never got what they were promised in this world. Does that sound familiar? I mean, Abraham was promised a great nation. He was promised to be the head of a nation that was more powerful than, than the, that would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And when Abraham died, they had to borrow land for him to be buried in. He didn't have anything. God's promise was good. God's promise would come about, but it didn't come about in his lifetime. A lot of times the promises of God, you and I don't see them in our lifetime, but they are going to happen. God is good to his word. 
Dr. Moffat, one of the great New Testament scholars, says the writer's main point here is not what they see in us, but what we see in them. So we look down and we learn things from the past. What do we see? In our church, we see all these pastors and leaders that have served in our church. You know, every time I talk to people about our church, I hear about pastors like like Sidney Goldfinch and about Mr. Johnson. And those guys have served years and generations in this church. They baptized and married you. I hear about Pastor Fryer and Pastor Dobbins, all of those guys that served before. They, they leave us a legacy of teaching the Bible, of ministering to people, loving people. Uh, that, that's really important. We learn from faithful members that are too numerous to mention. I'll just mention one. You know, um, Erlene and Chisman Craig were the first people married in our sanctuary here. Isn't that amazing? Now, we've conducted a lot of weddings from that day forward, many weddings by many different people, but they were, they were the first two. Uh, there were men that rebuilt our sanctuary during World War II after it burned down. There's people that have led our youth. I, I hear about Mr. Leonard that led the youth group and, and how, how he loved and taught and disciplined kids that are right here today serving a legacy that goes on. We, we learn those things from our church. It is so, it's so good. We learn from this group. We learn hard work and we heard, learn perseverance to keep going when things are difficult, when things don't work out the way we want, to stand with each other, to love with each other, to support each other. Those are the things that we learn. And you know what's really amazing about the church is that we learn from those folks how God has been faithful in the past. And we learn from our new people how God is faithful now because God sends us continually people that we need that, you know, sometimes we don't even know we need them. And God sends them, new people, all the folks that he sends. It's amazing. When, when new folks come into our church, they bring gifts and abilities and talents and ministries. See, God keeps renewing, keeps refreshing, keeps refurbishing. That's how he operates. And, and so as we look back on those people, we can look at them and we can say, you know, uh, I've seen what they did. I can do this. They have their eternal reward. I'm going to work while the day is here. And then when the night comes, then I don't need to work anymore. And that, that's the way the church needs to look at it. That we're an ongoing process. We're not the beginning. We're not the end. We are God's present ministry for this church. I believe that this church will be used by God for generations to come. And so one day we'll join all those witnesses. We think sometimes of them as sadness, but we need to remember them fondly. What they've done and what they teach us, not in the sense of hanging on to the past. We've got to do it the way they did it. But in the sense that they were faithful and they were receptive to what God was doing. And they did what God called them to do during their time. A great cloud of witnesses teaches us so much. Number two, to run a race, we have to set aside anything that hinders us. Now listen to this carefully. He tells us that we have this great group above us that we can learn from. And then he says that we have to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Uh, I want you to picture in the theater now, in the great Colosseum, are the athletes that run the races. Now, in the Greek world, we we Americans have a hard time with this. But you know the Greeks, when they ran races and did the Olympics, they wore almost no clothing at all. 
I mean, they didn't have anything on them because they didn't want to have anything that restricted them or limited them. They didn't have all this great running gear that we have today and all these wonderful shoes and all these really uh, great breathable fabrics. They had tunics and loose-fitting clothes, so they didn't wear a lot of clothes because they didn't want to be limited. So when an athlete ran, he had to take off of him everything that would slow him down. The writer of Hebrews says, you and I, to run the race faithfully, we have to set aside all of these things that that hinder us. And he specifically says the sin that so easily ensnares us. I, I can remember in my days in service of going in the field in some of these places and you would walk and and you would go through really heavy underbrush and the stuff would just grab your legs. It just hang on to you and you just have to pull and yank. You you couldn't run in there literally if your life depended on it. You couldn't do it. You were ensnared. We were held down. Sin does that in our life. It ensnares us. It holds us down. Christians that are ensnared in sin are not effective in God's kingdom. They can't do the work God called them to do. They are not receptive to what God's saying because God's not going to work with them while they're in the midst of that. They've got to, they've got to set it aside. They've got to get it out of their life. You know, we're all, we're all saying, well, I don't, I don't do those things and everybody else does. That's probably true. But you and I, we're all susceptible. We all have the things that ensnare us. We all have the things that weigh us down. I don't know what yours are. You don't know what mine is. But I will tell you that you have to struggle with that. To run the race with endurance, to be faithful to what God called you to do, you got to set aside the sin. you got to do that. Uh, for some, for some people, it's lust. For some people, it's it's greed. For some people, it's it's idolatry, where you worship other things. Maybe you worship your possessions or your money or 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 what you have or your career. Or you you can put all kinds of things in front of God. I don't know what your sin is, but the writer of Hebrews says you've got to set it aside, specifically the sin that so easily ensnares us. It's almost like it's automatic. If you don't do something about it, it's going to ensnare you. It's going to get you. It's going to weight you down. You're not going to be able to run the race. But not everything that we do is a sin. Sometimes there's good things that ensnare us. Sometimes there are things that are, that are, that are decent. Maybe there are hobbies. Maybe, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's work. I will tell you today that if you're too busy to come to church or you're too busy to serve God, you're probably too busy. That's now, now I'm not saying that you have to come to church every Sunday in order to serve God. That's not true. I'm, I'm not saying that, that you can't ever do anything outside of, of church. And, and I think we need a balance of life in the church. I don't think you have to be here every time the doors of the church are open. I hope you come and I hope every Sunday you decide it's important enough to be here on Sunday morning, come to worship. I think the church needs to come together to worship. But I recognize you can't be here all the time. But, but you gotta be careful. Well, you know, maybe God, maybe God wants you to work. And maybe, maybe in your workplace or in the school, or maybe, maybe in your neighborhood, God gives you a ministry that you can work in. And you, and you say, well, now the preacher said, I don't ever have to come to church. I can just do all my stuff at work. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there has to be a balance. But God can use you in all kinds of places. You just have to be careful that your hobbies and your work and good things don't weight you down. Don't ensnare you. Don't limit you from running the race. There are a lot of Christians... Uh, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard about Christians over the years that, that they, they get a hobby or they get, 
they get a vacation place or they get something and they're, they're out of God's work. Now maybe, maybe when they go to their vacation, we have people that, that vacation away when they're gone, they're, they're doing their work for God. They go to church, they worship, they share their faith. They're, they're, they're just, they're out doing God's work. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful. We gotta, gotta watch what hinders us. Maybe you need to work less. Maybe you need to work on developing your ministry at work. Maybe you need to start a Bible study or an opportunity in school or at work. And you can say, well, you know, I can come to worship when I can. I'll be here. But, you know, I'm going to go to work. And once a week, I'm going to have a Bible study in my workplace. I'm going to invite people to come together. We'll just read the Bible. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. You start a Bible study. You offer to teach a Bible study at work. You'll be surprised how many people take you up on it. You'll be surprised how many people will come. And you don't have to go and preach to them or evangelize to them. You just go and open a book up like John or like the book of Romans and say, we're just going to talk through this book and teach it. And, and we'll have prayer. We'll do it every day for about 30 minutes or once a week or twice a week. You, it's a great ministry. But at any rate, we need to get out of our lives the things that ensnare us. Number three, we have to run our race for endurance. Y'all probably wouldn't believe this. I tell you this every now and then. I know you don't believe it. I used to run an awful lot. And... Um, I don't look like I ran a lot, but I used to run a lot. I wasn't a fast runner. I ran long distances. I enjoyed running. It was my hobby. I don't really have a hobby now. I guess I ought to take running back up, but uh, I haven't yet done that. It was a lot of fun. Now, I couldn't run very fast. I didn't. I ran a couple marathons, but I didn't run very good time. I got the T-shirt, but I didn't run very fast. I finished. I finished. I used to run in little races. I would try to run whenever I was traveling in a school in a service. I would run a lot because my family wasn't usually there. It was a lot of fun. I could run 10 miles and not think much about it. Now, I didn't want to do a 100-yard uh, sprint. I, I, I was terrible at that. But I could run a long way. I, could, I knew how to pace myself. I knew what my heart rate needed to be. I knew what my muscles felt like after seven or eight miles. I knew, I knew how to do it. I knew how to run with endurance. That's what we have to be as Christians. We have to run with endurance. You have to, you have to run so that you can keep running. You have to minister so that you can keep ministering. You can't, you can't burn yourself out, wear yourself out, exhaust yourself. You, you can't get distracted. I'm going to tell you how not to get distracted. You, you have to, you have to stay focused on your run. You have to know how to do it. That, that's exactly what you and I have to do as Christians. We have to, we have to run the, the Bible. The Bible tells us, let us run with endurance the race that lies in front of us. That's what you gotta do. You gotta, you gotta keep running. There are Christians that start off running fast and then they kind of run out of steam and they fall out of the race. They're not of any value. I mean, they, I'm not saying they lose their salvation. They lose their effectiveness in, effectiveness in the kingdom. Sometimes people get upset and they get hurt. They get hurt by things I do. They get hurt by things that go on in the church or somebody says something or does something. And, you know, we got to run with endurance. we got to say, you know, this, this is bigger than one person. I will tell you the church is bigger than me. It's bigger than AJ. It's bigger than our deacons. It's bigger than the people that have been here a long time. This church... This work is God's work in the kingdom. It, it's bigger than all of us. It goes on. We got, just got to keep running. We got to keep going. We, we got to, we got to grow spiritually. That's how you nourish yourself in running. The way you keep the endurance is that you build strong muscles and build your lungs. You build capacity in, 
in spiritual things, you have to build capacity. You have to grow spiritually. If you, if you're a church member and you're working all the time and, and you don't ever go to Bible study, you don't ever read the Bible, you don't ever go to God in prayer, you're not nourishing yourself, you're starving yourself spiritually. One day you're gonna get mad, you're gonna get discouraged, you're gonna get wore out, you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna walk out of the church and never come back. Happens all the time. Because I'll assure you, the church over the course of time, whether it's from the preacher, whether it's, and I'll take the blame for that, whether it's from anybody, you're gonna get plenty of reason to be discouraged in God's church. You gotta, you gotta build up a spiritual capacity. You gotta be growing. You gotta be connected. You gotta love people. You gotta say, well, you know, I don't like what he did, but I love the Lord and I love the work. I'm gonna keep doing it. I don't, I'm getting tired and I'm getting weary. I need to step back. I need to grow. I need to study. I need to pray. I need to gather some people around me to help me a little bit. I need to tell the folks in my small group or my Sunday school that I need some help and I need some prayer. That's what Sunday school groups, that's what, that's what a group does. You gotta, you gotta have that. Everybody needs that. A lot of folks think they kind of get to a point they don't need it anymore. I assure you, you need it. I need, I need spiritual refreshment more than ever in my life. And I study the Bible all the time to preach and teach. But I have to do it for myself. I have, I have to read. I have to pray. I have to go before God. God, you know, it's like last week I was trying to come up with something to preach on and I, I wanted to kind of talk about something for discipleship. I wanted, I kept, I got all these great, these great evangelism passages and I read them and they were just flat. I couldn't get anything out of them. I picked this passage up. God said, there you go. That's your, that's your sermon right there. It's easy. I don't have to do the work. God, God does it for us. You gotta, you gotta run with endurance. You gotta build your capacity to keep on running. And, and here, here's the, here's the point. In order to run the race, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. That, that's our motivation, church. That's where we get motivated. We don't get motivated because we love our church. We don't get motivated because you love your preacher. You don't get motivated because we have great music. You don't get motivated because of whatever. You get motivated because we keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the purpose for our church. He's why we're here. And the writer of Hebrew tells us that. Listen to how he words it. Let us run the race with endurance. The race that, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Your purpose, my purpose in this church is to keep our eyes on Jesus. If your eyes aren't on Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. If your eyes aren't on Christ, then, then your eyes are on the wrong place. If you are living your life, raising your family, sometimes I, I can remember when our children were little, we were so busy we couldn't hardly see which end is up. I have great empathy for young parents. I understand. In fact, I don't know that I fully understand because I think it's busier now than it was when I was growing up with our kids. It was so hard for us to keep spiritual focus. Because the kids had to be here and they had to be there and the bills had to be paid and, and I was traveling everywhere and my wife was working all the time and things went on and on and on and on. You gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. In the middle of all that, you gotta do that. You gotta have a time to worship. You gotta have a time to sit with God. You gotta have a goal and a reason. Because sometimes people say, you know, um, you, you ask them where you go to church. Well, I go to this church or I go to that church. And, and what you ought to say is I work for the kingdom. 
You know, I'm, I'm, I really hope one day that our church can reach a lot of people in the community. I've never had this vision to have this packed church. I mean, I, I want as many people to come as God sends here. But my purpose as a pastor and my purpose for our church, our goal is to reach this community that's lost. That's why we're here. We've got to keep our eyes on him. That, that's our purpose. And, and then the Bible gives us these qualifications that tells us why that's important. And listen, he says, first of all, he's the source of our faith. He's the model of our faith. Hebrews 5, 9 says, after he was perfected, that is, after he lived a sinless life and went to the cross and died for us, he became, the writer says, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Christ, that's your hope. Your hope's not the First Baptist Church. Your hope's not the preacher. Your hope is not in any person. It's not in any program. Your hope is in Jesus. Because when we die, that's all that matters. He's the only thing that matters. Whatever we did in this church, whatever whatever money we made, whatever position we acquired, whatever whatever impact we had in our community, whatever house we built, whatever place we learned to go, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is Christ. If you want to refocus, you've got to refocus on him. Refocus on him. The source of our faith. The model of our faith. And it says, for the joy that lay before him. You know, Christ, that's a great model for, for keeping the endurance. Is that Jesus endured suffering and endured difficulty. People shamed him. Can you imagine the words that people said to Christ? The son of God. Jesus created the whole world, the whole universe. People mocked him and laughed at him and scorned him and rejected him. The writer of Hebrews says he kept his eye on the mark for the joy that lay in front of him. He knew the joy of completion. He knew that better than we do. Sometimes we forget the joy, don't we? We get, we get all wore out in the struggle. Jesus said it's worth the struggle for the joy that lay before him. For the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. Part of completing the work was difficult. If you, if you think... And students, I hope you don't think that life is easy, because it is not. I wish I could tell you that when you get out of school, see, I always thought when I was in high school, if I could just get through high school, it's going to be better in college. Then when I got to college and I said, this isn't it either, I think when I get out of college, it's going to be better. And then I said, well, when I get married and have children, it'll be better. And then when these kids grow up, it'll be better. And now I'm 62 years old. And guess what? It's not better yet. It's not. I mean, it's just not. <laughs> Life is hard. Jesus never said it would be easy. Preachers that get up and preach to you that life is full of making money and, and, and an easy life, they haven't preached the Bible. Jesus said if you want to follow him, his advice is to take up a cross, an implement of death, and follow him. Keep your eyes on him. It's hard. There's only one way to get through that. Just keep your eyes on him. Know your goal. Run with endurance. He endured the cross, despised the shame. And he sat down at the right, at the throne, the right hand of God. That, that, see, I always, we always, we, we forget that, we preachers that do that. He says after he did that, after he endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Right hand of the throne of God. When Christ finished his work on earth, he left earth in bodily, in bodily, in his eternal body. And he went to heaven and he sat down at the throne of God for eternal eternal rule. Next time we see Jesus, he's going to come back as a ruler, as a king. Nobody's going to scorn him then. 
Nobody's going to turn their back. In fact, the Bible says every knee will bow before him. All the unbelievers will bow before him on that day. It won't do them any good, but they'll, they'll know. They'll know. Church, we got to keep working. We got to endure the work because a great reward lies ahead. All right, I'm, I'm done. We have a large cloud of faithful people that have gone before us in our church, in our community. We can learn from them. We don't need to worship them. We, we can learn from them. We, we can know that they did a great work. They carried on. They did the best they could. They, they, they kept our church going. They kept our community going. They brought people to Christ. Now they're in heaven receiving their eternal reward. That's a great thing. That's, that's a reason to celebrate right there. We have to avoid the entanglements of sin and the other things that get us off the mission. Do you have sin in your life? Do you have things in your life that you wrestle with, that you deal with all the time? That, that, that fill your mind up, that take your mind off God? I don't know what they are. It might be sin. It might be something good. You gotta, you gotta avoid those entanglements. Can't run the race if you're all weighted down with a bunch of stuff. Get those things out of your life. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You gotta do it. It's not a, not a part-time thing. It's not something you do once a week. It's not something you do once a quarter. It's something you do every day. I mean, you gotta keep your eyes on Christ. I find, I find that when I'm in the Bible every day, when I study the Bible every day, God, God deals with me every day on things that He needs to deal with me on. Every day. He'll do that. And, and I'm, I'm a long way from being perfect now. But I will tell you what, I'm a lot closer to what God wants me to be by doing that. You will too. You gotta keep your eyes on Him. You gotta stay focused on Him. Don't be so busy you can't focus on Jesus. Don't be, don't be so caught up in the church or in your work and good things and raising your family that you can't, that you can't keep your eyes on Jesus. You gotta do that. And know that whatever you do for Christ is worth it. That's where you gotta know. God's not gonna forget one thing you do for Him. He, he said, He said a cold water that's given in His name, He'll remember it. That every little thing that you've done for the kingdom. And and so he'll take care of us. Our job is to work here. I invite you, church, whatever God puts in your life, puts in your heart, puts before you and say, listen, I've got to get this out of my life. I've got to reorient my priority. I've got to set my eyes on Christ. I've got to take care of the things that are most important. That's what he calls us to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I know it can speak clearly to all of us. Not by the words of this messenger, but by you. Lord, I pray that if there are people here that need to hear a message of salvation today, that they will do it. If they need to hear a message to come back to you, to clear their life of entanglements, and I pray you'll do that. Lead them to do that. God, thank you that you love us, that you use us, that you continually walk with us in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.